welcome to Radio TFS number 20, Virtualizing Team Foundation Server. Hi, this is Martin, and on the line with me, I've got Paul Hacker. Hey, Paul. Hey, Martin. How are you? Very good, thank you. And we've got with us a special guest, Brian Randall. Hey, Brian. Howdy ho, mates. How you doing? Now, as I say, we normally have a bit of uh, we normally have a bit of banter at the start of an episode here, but I knew there was no way we'd keep you quiet for ten minutes. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I resemble that remark. <laughs> so, do you want me to read your bio, Brian? Should we give you the formal introduction? If you want to do that, that's fine. I might as well for everybody that doesn't know, but hopefully most people will know Brian who are listening to the podcast. Um, Brian is a senior consultant with MCW Technologies LLC, and for over 20 years, Brian has been building software solutions and educating his fellow developers. He spends his time teaching Microsoft technologies to developers, working with new and emerging technologies like Visual Studio Team System 2008, and consulting worldwide for Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft, state and local governments, and small businesses. Brian enjoys helping people get the most out of their software. He does this through training for Pluralsight and speaking at events such as VS Live, TechEd and PDC. In addition, Brian shares through the written word. Brian currently writes for Team System Column for MSDN Magazine. He's the author and lead instructor of Pluralsight's Applied Team System and Applied Windows SharePoint Services courses. Wow. He's also a good friend of the show and a good friend of both mine and Paul, so it's great to speak to you, Brian. Well, thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. I have to admit, I've been wondering when I was going to be honored by being VM on the show. Oh, well, you know, we, we we just wanted to get practice before we bothered you. That was all it was. Oh. <laughs> so what have you been up so, to, Brian? You busy getting ready for the conference season? Well, yeah, I just got uh, last week, a week before last, I was at Dev Week, and I had VS Live earlier in the year. And, of course, the big show coming up is TechEd US in Los Angeles, which, uh, memory serves, uh, you'll be speaking at also, Martin. I will, yeah. I'm doing a talk on uh, on Team Foundation Build, extended Team Foundation Build. And uh, Mickey's doing a talk as well on, on web testing, practical web testing. So uh, we should all be there. And will you be out at TechEd, Paul? Uh, probably not. Okay. The old yeah. work, work keeping you to the grindstone. Well, we'll miss you. We'll miss you. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have a drink for you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's keeping me busy. And then I've been doing you know lots of work with uh, Team System, of course, as usual. Uh, most recently, I've been working on a white paper for Microsoft and uh, a lab and some videos, kind of highlighting why Team Developer is really great now that we have both the developer features and the database edition features all combined. So that'll be coming out relatively soon. And, uh, of course, I'm taking care of the, the virtual PCs and hands-on labs uh, for TechEd, so we'll be running those again, although right now we're sticking to mostly same 2008 content. Uh, with Visual Studio 2010 coming out, we'll be looking for new labs once we get to a, a nice stable beta stage. So that's what's keeping me busy for the most part in that space. Yeah, well, um, I mean, what's fun? a lot of people will know that you are actually the guy, you know, the, the virtual PC that, that we all download with the trial edition of Team System stuff. You, you are the guy that puts that together. Yeah, that is, that's one of my little tasks. It's a weird thing. I don't know why, but I enjoy building these virtual machines. I guess because it's a... It, it's something I get to do that has a finite end game, and when I'm done, I can feel really proud about something I built. So it's kind of, it's something I look forward to. It's kind of cathartic, therapeutic for me to do. Um, 
But yeah, right now we've got four versions, if you don't know. There is a what we call the all-up image, which has Team Foundation server installed in workgroup security mode, plus full team suite and team build, plus there's like 30 hands-on labs, a bunch of good stuff in it. And that's what we call our all-up image. And that's available in virtual PC and virtual server formats. And then we have another copy that's available already upgraded and ready for Hyper-V. So if you're using Hyper-V, you can do that. Then we provide a smaller cleaner image, which we call the TFS-only image, which is just Team Foundation Server and Team Build, no labs and no Team Suite. That's the one I love because I use it all the time. I demo against that one all the time because, you know, I, I like to run all my client stuff client-side in, in my in my proper machine and then just yep. have the server sitting in a little virtual machine. I found that gives the, be- the best demo anyway. Well, that, that that configuration works really well for demos, plus because you can do um, you can do desktop builds locally but still do team builds. Um, for you, of course, you can hook into it from Team Prize on other non-Windows platforms. So it's, it's very flexible, but it's also good for people running Windows because you can run, for example, Vista. So with Aeroglass, do native uh, performance profiling and sampling on X64. So it, it, we like to provide the flexibility for people. They seem to be pretty popular. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's the easiest way of trying out team system. If you had to wait and download, you know, and do all the setup and all that sort of stuff, it's that's that takes time. You, you know, that's a serious investment, and you want to, you know, you just want to try it and make sure you, you know, it's good. So no, those virtual PCs are great, and that's why yeah. I kind of, um, you know, wanted why we wanted to have you on today because obviously. Um, you know, Team Foundation Server and Team Systems are a huge passion of yours, but also virtualization is a big passion. You've been in the virtualization space probably even longer than Team System. Uh, yeah, well, God, I got I got really interested back around when VMware – well, it actually goes before that if I want to be crazy. and remember my days um, back in using the Macs uh, when I was helping out at Cal Poly, the local university here. Um, you had virtual PC for the Mac, right? And that was the way you could run or emulate Windows on top of – uh, the Macintosh operating system. Of course, with that version of Virtual PC, it was emulation, and boy, you just you really knew you were not running native. But when VMware came with their product on Windows, I started using that. In fact, a project I used it heavily on, I, I want to say it was VMware 2 Workstation, but I was doing this project for Microsoft called the MSD Deployment Toolkit, and I had to test installs. And if you think about, if you go back in the Wayback Machines before virtualization, I mean, think about doing test configurations. That's when you'd use things like Ghost and uh, True Image and uh, Partition Magic, or not Partition Magic, what was the other product called? Well, it doesn't matter. Those, you know, ghosting technologies where you would copy the image of the machine, that's what I had to do to test. So to be able to set up virtual machines and be able to use undo disk, I mean, undo disk to me, it just have changed my life when it comes to testing scenarios. And so it just kind of went from there. And then basically around the, just after beta one of SQL Server 2005 when it was codenamed Yukon, I got involved with uh, an old friend of mine who joined Microsoft and has been working there for a while named Matt Nunn. And we worked on one of the first big public VPC images uh, that we built and gave out to customers. We, we basically worked with the virtualization group to find out what was the best way we could do it to where we could give these images out but not, of course, give away Windows because obviously there's a lot of uh, software we're putting into these images. And so I've been doing it ever since, and it's just something that I've spent a lot of time with. But it's something that I find completely necessary to do my job today. I mean, for example, right now, I've got a mini domain I'm building. I've got four VMs running right now, 
one of them is an ISIS server. I have a domain controller. I have a web server, and I'm building a TFS box for this project I'm doing with some other guys that are in the UK. And I wanted to set them up so we could do this project, have all the team system features, but I didn't want, of course, put them on my network, right? I don't want to put them on my computers. So it's really great technology to try different scenarios and really get to know Microsoft software and even non-Microsoft software really well. So virtualization was always used heavily, you know, in the test space since it began. I mean, I remember, like, you using it to test in stores and also test, like, parallel versions of IE, you know, and rather than having to have lots of different machines around the office of different IEs installed, you could just fire up a VM. It was just saved so much time. But now it's really moved from the testing space into the um, production space, especially with things like Hyper-V, you know, and VMware. Yeah, exactly. Well, you'll find, you know, VMware has really made a name for themselves, and they're really obviously someone that Microsoft's quote unquote going after, you know, they, they, you know, Microsoft wants to own every space and VMware I'm really glad is out there because it really is to some degree, I think pushing the Microsoft team to do a better job than they would normally do. Um, And, you know, that's a big change, right? You can run systems in production virtualized. In fact, you know, VMware pushes that heavily. What's interesting is looking at the virtualization story, right? VMware basically is, has the approach of basically virtualize everything. Microsoft tends to be a little more conservative, but as they've matured their technology, and you mentioned Hyper-V, of course, um, they're starting to say, well, you can virtualize a lot of things, almost everything. And that means things like domain controllers are supported virtualized, SQL Server is supported virtualized, even Exchange. Now, all these things require the appropriate versions, service packs, et cetera, and Microsoft has very specific uh, service level agreements and support requirements for doing virtualization, but you can now look at this seriously. But the big thing you got to do is configure your hardware and software correctly. That's probably the most important thing. So do you think Team Foundation server should be virtualized? Is that a good target for virtualization? Only if you're going to do it the right way. So I think the big mistake is people overload their virtualization servers, and they don't also they don't invest in the appropriate hardware uh, configuration. I mean, let's be honest, you know, there are, when you get into the enterprise space, VMware and Microsoft both have some very nice high-end features like clustering, uh, quick migration. Microsoft is coming off live migration. VMware, of course, has had vMotion for years. And, you know, they put a premium price on some of those features. The majority of those features are not necessary for a lot of Team Foundation server installations. But what is necessary is that you configure your servers correctly. So it really is, in my opinion, has more to do with hardware today than it does about the virtualization stack. If you use modern stacks like Hyper-V or ESX Server, or I think they have ESXi now, the free version, you know, but if you're using real server technology for your virtualization, it comes down to, did you buy the right hardware? And number one, above all for TFS, it's got to be fast hard drives, and it's got to be multiple hard drives, multiple spindles, or a high-performing SAN. Because you know, TFS, as, as those of us who've used it know, is very SQL Server dependent and based and very I.O. heavy. You get into certain operations like branches, um, doing large builds and things like that. You're going to have lots of I.O.s in a SQL Server, and that's where you're going to pay for it if you don't configure the hardware correctly. So I guess that begs the question then, is it really smart then to virtualize the um, TFS as a single server install, or is it better to just virtualize the application tier and leave a physical SQL server on the back end due to all that I.O. action? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, the what they've shown, if you have the right hardware, you're going to get into the, you know, high 80 to 90 percentile range on I.O. You know, the things are you got to, 
take things in context. One of the things people do when they evaluate virtualization often and TFS and virtualization, they make a mistake and they take the image I built. Now understand, I've optimized the image, number one, for one thing, and that's the ability to have a smaller download. So in doing so, I've used dynamic disks. So dynamic disks only use about the amount of space that they're really using on disk. And then you have what appears to be more disk available. For example, the current TFS all-up image is allocated with a 64 gigabyte single hard drive. Well, I would never put into production that type of hard drive, right? A, not enough disk space. B, it's dynamic expanding. So you got to start with, number one, use the right format. So with Hyper-V, for example, um, you can use pass-through disks. Well, pass-through disks can give you the ability to have a virtualization setup but use native disks. That's probably one of the fastest ways you can do it. The downside to doing pass-through disks is you lose some of the flexibility that virtualization gives you, right? Where virtualization can really save your butt is the ability to do disaster recovery by moving just the VHD or the, the virtual hard drive files from one machine to another. This also enables things like the quick migration or what they will have, which is called live migration coming forward. Now, what it comes down to, then back to answer your question is, what would I do? What I would do was I can give the best hardware for. So, for example, if I know I'm going to put SQL Server on a machine with one drive, well, that's not going to be much better than if I put it in a virtual drive. Um, you know, I think the thing to look at is understand your load. I think sometimes people are over-aggressive or not aggressive enough. We don't get this sweet spot. People either buy too nice hardware or they don't buy good enough hardware. It's not about doing the middle of the road right thing to do. So I don't think there's one advantage or the other if you're going to provide the right hardware. Does that make sense? In other words, the data tier can be configured to run well virtualized. Can you get the best perf by going to native hardware? Absolutely. But, you know, virtualizing just the app tier versus the data tier, I don't think you're winning with virtualization. I think if you're going to do it, do both. In fact, today, the nice thing about splitting the two is that you can have a 64-bit data tier and give it more memory and then just run a 32-bit 4-gig app tier until we get to 2010 and we get 64-bit support. And the ability to have multiple application tiers in 2010, which would be quite nifty. Exactly. But let's yeah, be honest. I mean, how many people really need that besides Microsoft? I mean, there's a small number of customers, I think, that really need multiple application tiers. Yeah, I mean, you, or, or do you guys disagree? <laughs> I don't know. Hosting companies, I, you know, would you say, Paul? Yeah. For, for, from the hosting aspect, I can't wait for multiple application tiers. Right. Well, that, have- that would definitely serve you well, and definitely the hosters out there for sure. Right. Fine. So, so okay, now that I've gotten the hardware I need, and I want to jump into this virtualization of my team foundation server and all that great goodness. What can I expect in terms of support when it comes to uh, Microsoft supporting me on the Hyper-V stack and Microsoft supporting me on the VMware stack? What well, can I be supported? Well, okay, so it, it, there's multiple levels of support to be aware of. So first of all, Microsoft uh, has been very careful about how they they bring up their support policies. So at the simplest point, Microsoft will support you regardless of what virtualization stack you run. However, if they can't duplicate the virtualization problem, they might ask for it duplicated in real hardware. So let's back up. Let's take the Microsoft software. If you run in Hyper-V in production, run the right operating system with TFS, and the reason I say this is because I am not a lawyer and I don't keep track of every subtle, you have to have this service pack with this hotfix. But the bottom line is if you run a supported operating system, which would mean in the case of TFS, you're going to have to run Windows Server 2003 SP1 or higher, um, or 2008, those will be supported in a virtualization space, which means Microsoft will support you. Um, same thing goes for VMware. Now, I do know there are subtle clauses if you're not using the Microsoft virtualization stack and they run into weird scenarios. But I know as far as the TFS team goes, 
they've never said, you know, what stack you're running. They just say, give us the details and let's look at the problem. Um, and I don't know of any customer that I've had that's had a problem running a virtualization stack, Microsoft or VMware, that has had a problem that they had to try and reproduce hardware-wise. It was always, okay, we found the issue, it's your end, or it's our issues, it's a bug, whatever. Um, I have you know, a couple customers I can uh, speak to that I know are running in VMware in production. Um, I actually don't have any Hyper-V customers in production that, uh, off the top of my head, uh, but I do know lots of do, do testing and evaluation with, with Hyper-V and, and virtual server. I mean, the only problems I've personally seen in using virtualization um, is when they've they've got too low a memory configuration or something like that in their in their um, host operating system, and so yep. you know the, their ASP work process recycles too heavily, and they get lots of funky network timeouts. Yeah, a lot of the things you're going to run into are often misconfigurations, and once again, it goes back to the, are you giving the virtual machine enough RAM and enough um, enough disk space as well as fast enough disk. Because that's the other thing that you can run into. If you've got a, a virtual machine like TFS that's going to have lots of I.O. on a slow hard drive, you can get weird errors as it tries to load up and it's just kind of like, I'm having trouble today. I can't get going. It's like I need my coffee. Um, whereas when you run on you know fast drives, you know 10,000 RPM, 15,000 RPM drives configured in, in a proper RAID configuration, you really won't be able to tell the difference between that and real hardware, in my opinion, if properly configured. But that means giving enough RAM, giving enough disk space. And using fixed disk is probably the biggest thing for production use. So what are the um, pros and cons of virtualizing Team Foundation Server? Why is it something you should consider or, or shouldn't consider? I, I think it comes down to flexibility for disaster recovery is probably the biggest thing. You, you have the ability to upgrade your TFS environment very easily by upgrading the host with the minimal amount of downtime. So give you an example. Let's say you start off with a single server configuration on a single box. Well, to go to a new box is really significant pain and suffering when you think about migrating a TFS installation, right? It's, it's non-trivial. You don't just say, oh, let's move servers. On the other hand, with virtualization, I can buy a new box that's got more RAM, more horsepower, and all I have to do is shut down the VM and copy it across the network and restart it. Okay, I mean, how simple is that? So you have the flexibility to go to better hardware. Number two, disaster recovery. I can back up the VM like a normal Windows machine, just like I normally would, but I can also use things um, like DPM Manager, Microsoft's um, Data Protection Manager product, which can do real-time backups with the what's called the VSS subsystem, not uh, Visual Source Safe, by the way, uh, but the virtual disk subsystem, and I can take snapshots of real time. And once again, if my system dies completely and I lose my VHD, I can bring it up on a new system and be back up much quicker. I think really the disaster recovery flexibility is probably the biggest win there. Um, the other thing is this ability to move hardware loads in larger environments where they have SANS where they have multiple virtualization boxes. And you're talking high-end stuff with like VMware, ESX server, some of the new Hyper-V clustered configurations. You can move the machine based upon load also. So I think it's flexibility and disaster recovery are the big wins. So um, I've heard a lot about these new virtualization servers. Dell has some of these, and I'm sure other hardware vendors are having them. So what's, what, what's the benefit of a virtualization server over a traditional server, or is there any difference between those? Well, so my guess is you know, that's a bit of marketing. So the, the, the key thing to understand is that, you know, once again, virtualization requires lots of RAM and lots of fast disks. So 
my guess is with a lot of this, and by the way, I don't know exactly what Dell's marketing today, so I'm going to take a quick look. Uh, virtualization servers. Uh, the one thing to be aware of is that the chip manufacturers, most notably Intel, but AMD also, are shipping boxes, or sorry, shipping processes that have more technology specifically optimized for virtualization. So, for example, today, to run Hyper-V, you require a fairly modern processor. It has to, to support two features. One is known as the hardware virtualization feature, which is was referred to as the codename Vanderpool uh, during its beta and is officially known as Intel VT. Um, or Intel Virtualization Technology. Uh, by the way, the AMD version was codenamed Pacifica and is now known as AMD V. Uh, those are the minimum features you have to have in the processor. And then with, within the processor, also support what's called the no-execute bit, which is a antivirus malware protection feature. So those are kind of like the baseline. So to give you an example, I have this really nice AMD server that's got two dual uh, – it's dual-proc, dual-core – um, AMD Opterons. Unfortunately, I got it just before AMD V was finished, so it cannot run Hyper-V. It runs Virtual Server, but it won't run the latest high-end uh, Hyper-V or some of the VMware stuff because I don't have the virtualization feature. So that's step one. When you buy a virtualization server, you're going to want those features. And then they're adding additional features. So looking at, for example, Dell side of virtualization, what they're trying to do is say, we offer an entire suite of features. So buying a virtualization server from them might also include proper support as well as it looks like they'll even sell you the virtualization stack that you want if you want to go with VMware. Um, so I think there's a bit of marketing there. Right now, virtualization is one of the hot things on the IT pro side as far as you know, reducing costs, green data centers, uh, better uh, TCO, all those things. So we've talked quite a lot about the TFS application tier and the and the data tier. How about things like the um you know the proxy server and the build server? Are they are they suitable for virtualizing as well? Well, I think builds is a huge candidate for for build virtualization, particularly to have different build servers, right? Where you want to mix and match different versions of the CLR. Uh, you want to do make sure you have clean builds because you, you and I both know from building production software, one of the things you got to watch out for when you're shipping MSIs is to make sure you're not shipping any bits that the customer shouldn't have or you're including all the bits the customer should have. And when you start getting more complex installs that require third-party components, uh, particularly if you have a complex build environment that has you know, you know, server, client environments, having multiple build servers is much more flexible with virtualization. Based upon demand, you can spin up build servers as needed and take them down as needed. So I think that's a great one. Proxy is one I've never really looked into as something to virtualize because most of the places that are looking at proxy server, they generally have one or two servers at these branch locations, and they just throw it on one of those boxes. But once again, for proxy server, it's going to come down to a nice, big, healthy disk drive that's got fast performance. But proxy server doesn't have serious processor requirements, so definitely it would work well as a Uniproc VM in my opinion. But to be honest, I've never done it other than played with it in test. Yeah, it's good for. I imagine you could lock it down quite nicely as well, you know, because often often these TFS proxies are are done by some central team and then farmed out, you know, to some random remote office. So by having exactly. it in a nice lockdown image, they can do everything they need to do, you know, and just ship it on a USB drive or something. I have a client that actually does that, so um, and it just works great. You know, the security is really nice. We can lock it down, like you said, but performance wise, it's just fantastic. We we can't tell it's a virtualized machine, so. I think it's a That's great sweet. Yeah. 
and by the way, Paul, looking over here at Dell's site, you know, when I looked at their servers, they've just got some servers that they have considered or configured well for virtualization. Lots of RAM, good processors, et cetera. But I don't think, see anything that's special that makes them a, a, a special server over anything else. Um, so, yeah, so there's these 805 servers, R805s that are Dell servers, PowerEdge servers that are designed for virtualization. They're the smarter path to virtualization, as Dell likes to say. So um, I was just curious, and I'm sure our listeners would be curious if, if, if that's more marketing hype and a bigger expense, or, or, or is it just uh, is it truly a better server for virtualization? Well, I'm looking at the config here, and it's got a great config. Um, now, ah, so here's what's interesting. Now, this I didn't know they were shipping these yet. So one of the things they're doing is supporting embedded hypervisors. So I know VMware made a big splash about this and the fact that they can – Take the hypervisor and embed it in some, you know some type of solid state software uh, configuration. And so what they're saying is you can get embedded hypervisors from either VMware, Citrix, or even Microsoft. And so that would be something that's going to be you know easier configuration for you. In other words, you're going to get it out the box. Now what they've done here though, if you look at the config, right? Multiple processors, lots of RAM, lots of I/O, embedded NICs. Network cards actually a big thing we haven't really talked about. When you're building a virtual uh, machine environment. You know, it's one thing if you're just going to run one VM on a box, but you rarely are going to do that. And so the thing you got to make sure is that you have multiple dedicated network taps for your virtual machines and at least one extra one for the host for management features. So looking at the uh, R805, what we see here is it'll go up to 128 gigs of RAM. Uh, looks like it supports four embedded NICs. Um, hot plug hard drives, you know, up to 16 DIMM slots. Uh, this this particular model is two AMD Optron quad cores. Um, you know, so you can see they're doing some extra stuff to give you the right hardware. So on that note, buying a a machine marketed as virtualization ready, it looks like they're putting the right hardware in there for you. So that's number one. But this whole embedded hypervisor thing, that's something that I currently don't own. I, all my hypervisors are installed via software media. So uh, I'm going to have to see if I can get this through accounting to get myself an embedded one to see what's different. Um, that's the big thing to be aware of. Both Microsoft and VMware are offering uh, different versions of their virtualization stack. Right With Microsoft, you can run Hyper-V as part of Windows Server 2008 in the form of a server role, and there's two versions. There's regular Windows Server 2008, and then there's what's called Server Core, which is a lighter weight version of, of the parent operating system. But then they sell something which is called Hyper-V Server, which is just enough of Windows and Hyper-V to run it. Um, so those are those are the things that I think they're talking about here when they talk about embedding Microsoft Hyper-V, because I don't think Hyper-V comes yet yet on solid state, but my understanding of VMware was going all the way to where you could actually get it as you know, embedded on the chip on the machine. So it's becoming a very interesting space that keeps changing daily. Um, the other thing I've been reading and following along with some of the Microsoft guys is Intel keeps adding these enhancements to their high-end server chips that eventually do get pushed down to the client that enhance I.O. and transitions between the different low-level modes of the hypervisors and the uh, operating system and how it talks to the processor. And each one of these new enhancements is promising better performance levels. So definitely when you're looking to buy machines, you want to look at what kind of processor you're getting and what features does it provide. But more importantly, does your hypervisor take advantage of it or does your virtualization stack take advantage of it? For example, some of these new features are completely lost on virtual PC, virtual server, and older versions of VMware because 
they have been added. Whereas Hyper VR 2 is going to have support for some of these new advanced features. Um, same thing with the newer versions of VMware. So that's another thing to be aware of when you're buying these servers. But uh, boy, Paul, I'm glad you asked me this question because now I've got something else to geek out on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. the wife's Great. not going to like you for this one, is she? <laughs> no, no, she's not going to like this. Yeah, when I say accounting, I do mean my wife. She approves all purchases. As it should <laughs> Honey, uh, really, I need it. I need another server. It's for work. <laughs> but you yeah. need a new rack for the server to go in. That's where it gets expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey... um. We're probably getting time uh, where we want to be uh, wrapping up. But before we do, I, I didn't want you to get away with talking about um, common mistakes that you see, you know, when virtualizing Team Foundation Server. Um, well, you know, number one mistake is, you know, not enough RAM. Number two is poorly configured hard drives. Uh, those are probably the two big ones. Naturally, there's a whole slew of misconfiguring TFS issues <laughs> where they <laughs> haven't built TFS correctly. Um, but that has really nothing to do with virtualization. That's just not built correctly. Um, but you know, probably the big thing is they use, sadly, they use the VM that is shipped uh, by us as an example, and that's not. It's wow. optimized for demos. Is that, um, is fact, that even I, legal? I thought that was against the license terms. Oh, no, what I mean, they model. People look at how we did, they build their own the same way. Oh, yes. I see. The, the, yes, let's be very clear. These VMs are not for production use. They're for evaluation only. Um, you, the you cannot upgrade ones. them. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. They're not for, you're not to upgrade them. They're not to be used in production. Evaluation only. But yeah, the, probably the big mistakes are just the traditional ones, but it's mostly lack of appropriate hardware software, installing all into one drive, um, one virtual disk, and using dynamic disks. Dynamic disks are probably the big one. That, and the key when you use dynamic disks, understand that means using dynamic disks with, uh, is if you were to use fixed disks, but then use undo drives or use differencing drives or snapshots. Any of that technology lets you undo, which is great for testing is going to hurt you in production for performance. Yeah, it's just like having, you know, the wrong RAID configuration, but, but a heck of a lot worse. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the thing to watch out for is, is you know, watch out your RAID configurations. Um, you know, RAID 5 looks nice because of disk space, but it's not great for perf. You know, RAID 1 plus 0 is the best, the most expensive. But, you know, consider what you're doing. You're better off probably just doing mirroring um, if you're looking for protection um, versus RAID 5. Um, but once again, you have to test. It really depends on your, you know, how much, what your IO throughput's like. And sorry about that, Martin. I realized you wanted to cut us off. No, 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 not at all. I mean, this takes me, um, and we, we're coming up to the limit, but, we, you know, people like to listen when we start talking, so it's okay. The um, <laughs> One of the things uh, I find interesting about Team Foundation Server is that it kind of, it kind of crosses the line between IT pro and, uh, you know, developer traditionally because the kind of people that, you know, it needs to be treated like a proper production server and proper production hardware and security and procedures and blah, 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 and all the things that IT pros are really good at. And yet it's a development tool. You know what I mean? It really does cross cross that divide. Well, it really does. And you think about it, that's where people have gotten into trouble, right? When they think of moving from VSS, in this context, SourceSafe, to T Foundation Server, they don't realize what they're getting into. You know, a T Foundation Server has to be cared for and fed just like any other real production server. Um, yet at the end of the day, once it's configured, you know, the devs are the ones who do most of the interaction with it and, you know, access version control and configure who has rights and those kind of things. So it does require a good partnership between development and the, the IT people who take care of the servers. Great. Well, is there anything you want to finish on before we wrap up? No, just go forth and uh, enjoy TFS. Just you know, read the docs, give it the try, and, and don't starve your server for RAM or hard disk space. 
give it what it needs. Especially neither they're both so cheap now compared to developer time. You know, just give it as much as you can throw at it. Absolutely, totally agree. Okay, well, thanks everybody. It's been a, a great. It's one of the fastest half hours of my life. That's been a great session, Brian. Thanks very much. And um, no problem. We'll see everybody next time on Radio TFS. <laughs>